0: Good morning and welcome to Mornings with the Mayor, an in-depth look at the issues and opportunities facing the city of Vacaville with Mayor Ron Roulette. This morning we have a special guest in studio, David McPherson from HDL Incorporated, a firm the city is currently working as it reviews the large amount of issues surrounding the adult use of marijuana act. Welcome David. Good morning, Jeremy. David, we want to dive into a large variety of cannabis issues with you this morning, but first let's uh,
1: talk a little bit about yourself and what HDL does for their clients. Sure, Um, first of all, HDL, as a company, been around for 35 years. We only work for government. Uh, We have um, 500 um, clients in California, both for cities and counties and special districts. And um, so in the last three years, we've uh, um, created this special uh, unit um, to address a lot of the issues that our clients have been um, having to deal with on a policy issue and um, we've currently worked with about 125 of our clients out of the 160, 70 cities in California that are actually addressing cannabis policies today.
0: So, so you're a busy man. Yes, we are.
1: Got a, a, a good staff though, so it helps.
0: You know, as we, we talked to the residents of Vacaville about the cannabis issue, and I kind of sense there's a great deal of confusion about what exactly did we pass? when Prop 64, the adult use of marijuana, came about. So can you give us a little primer on kind of what that action was and where we've gone from there?
1: Um, yes, you know, I I, I think we all um, voted yes or no on it based on certain things on there, but I don't think all of us read the 63 pages when we said yes or no to it. And that, I think, causes a lot of the, the issues because they aren't well-defined, and so there's gaps in what we were getting or we thought we were getting out of that, um, you know, the biggest one I think facing you right now is that the local control or police powers and as the city is uh, addressing the delivery component of this, that kind of clearly shows that this the state agencies um, are kind of trying to undermine that a little bit and, you um, And I think that changes some of the dynamics of it. The second thing I think of is with the personal grow cultivation, um, what you can and cannot do for oversight to that has modified just how you have your land use and some of the safety issues uh, surrounding those two items.
0: I think... as the state moves to implement this, I think it's it's somewhat of a moving target. Is that correct? I mean, that there's a lot of different agencies trying to address a lot of different issues.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's like a walking on, on quicksand. Um, you know, a lot of ordinances that have been drafted, as soon as they get them adopted, they're already outdated. Um, literally, the day after, they've actually went through the whole due process, you know, the vetting process that we do. Um, and with that, just staying on top of it is a challenge because of the constant changes. And I think and how we uh, get some clarity on just the stabilization of the final regulations that just got adopted is going to be um, something that we have to deal with because the complexities of it.
0: Great, and I think there's a whole bevy of items we could talk about this morning, but I, I wanted to zero on just a few of the questions we hear here at the city quite a bit. So, uh, first of all, I think when people think about the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, they think often of retail and dispensary. Can you tell us kind of what are the common methods for retail?
1: Um, there are actually, even Prop 64, what we thought was the general idea of retail has changed because regulations uh, tried to adopt some additional things since then, but I think it's also being realistic. Um you know, there was uh, thousands of delivery services out there that would have been left out of the market if we did not allow that. So they actually changed it so they have um, a retail component, which is traditionally, you know, a dispensary. And then they have what they call the non-storefront retailer, which is another name for a dispensary. And um, both of those require that you be at a fixed location that is being uh, permitted by a local jurisdiction and by the state the unique difference is obviously where a community may be okay with walk-in traffic that's your typical retail and a non storefront you can't have any walk-in traffic it's really just a place to place an order pull it down off the internet or call into so they can have it del- bring it and deliver it to your um to your house
0: great and and I think the, the non-storefront is something we really didn't know it existed until we started implementation, is that correct?
1: Yeah, and, and that's really really it is, is um, you know, some cities um, out there um, had bans on deliveries, so it wasn't entirely go, whoa, what's this delivery non-storefront um, component of this because we, we don't know where it's coming from, who's, who it is, and so how do we get a handle on that? And uh, how it it could be, you know, both positive or disruptive to a community based on what the issues are. And in some communities, there's just a handful of deliveries, and others, there's hundreds of them that may come into a community that cause other problems with them going into residential communities. Wow, hundreds of
0: deliveries. That could that I could see where that would be a little concerning.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Well, now that we've, we've seen cities around the state begin to implement retail, what what are some of the challenges you're seeing that have arisen? For example, you know, the whole cash issue we hear about.
1: You know, cash issue comes up um, quite a bit, um, and I think we are still being challenged by that because we are talking about a cash industry in general. Um, but until the banks um, change their mindset of it, right now we only have about 350 to 400 institutions that are actually allowing the cannabis industry to bank with them, considering we've got, you know, th- thousands and thousands of, of banks and in, in financial institutions and credit unions. Uh, that's just a, a small little amount in there. Um, And then just the cost of moving cash. I I know on the government side being in it that, you know, the whole goal is internal controls of trying to eliminate the risk of that, both from a public safety, staff handling the money, and then just the processing of that and accountability for that um, does cause some problems in there. And, uh, you know, the industry is trying to do their best they can to do it under the current environments they have to work with.
0: You know, earlier in the presentation you gave to the Chamber of Commerce,
1: you mentioned a story about your time in Oakland and an infamous backpack delivery.
0: Can you kind of share that with the audience?
1: Sure. Um, You know, so I was sharing with this morning's presentation that uh, first time um, a a business came in with their money to pay their taxes, it was a million dollars, and dropping a million dollars on my desk say, here's my taxes was... a a wide opening knowing that we had to look at a different option to deal with that and so there's different processes that we did um you know armored cars and timing of deliveries and kind of um, breaking down when they make their payments how they make them and then just safety protocols both from them leaving their operations to even coming into city hall
0: i think that uh gives me heart palpitations being a former finance director Uh, Think of a, a million dollars in a backpack showing up at the front counter. Yeah, I could. Same here. So, so one of the things we hear when we we discuss the retail and this cash drug mix is from our public safety, Um kind of the uneasiness of how how do we track this, know we're doing it, knowing that it's a safe process. So I was wondering. Does the state have any tri- crime tracking at this point? Or we have information related to the industry? Or is it just too soon, or too early of an industry to really have that conversation?
1: Yeah, and it is because it's at different levels for different business operations. Um, and again, if, if they still can't put their money in the bank, then where is that money going? And is it you know on-site, off-site? Um, and so th- what you do in modeling it, You know, like I said, some of the industry folks are having pickups every four hours or every other day or limiting how much is on site, um, you know, where it's held at to that. But um, the most part, it has to do with how they structure their facility and the regulatory process to make sure that the public safety is satisfied with how it's it's safe and not going to be a concern for them.
0: So the cities you've worked with that have moved forward with some level of cannabis use, be it manufacturing or retail, has public safety been a key component in those RFP
1: processes? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, they need to play a role because um, there's multiple tudes of things. Um, In California, for example... We're unique that we don't require backgrounds for employees. Um, where you had Colorado, Washington, Oregon did that. Now we do for the operators, but that's only a small amount of the people that are actually going in and out of a business. And so it's important that re- reduce some of the public safety issues because it's the employees that you're not backgrounding and what they you know historically have had issues with that you want to be aware of. So one on the background. Secondly, um, any facility by design that they're playing a role, in they're looking at the the security design. It could be as far as how a patrol car approaches the facility, um, to the to security by design of a facility, um, and just some of their SOPs of how they handle for you know panic calls and things of that nature and emergencies.
0: So, so it strikes me that to a great extent, this really isn't different than. A lot of our advanced biotech firms we have in the city today, uh, Genentech, for example, we do a great deal of coordination, public safety-wise, with them, not only on safety approaches and, and good design, but also just controlling access to and from their facility. So it, it, it sounds like we're, it's not totally different, I guess, is what I'm trying to say.
1: I, th- I think as we have more normalization, and I think... Um those that are starting from scratch have that more business model as far as how they look at it this business of being being the same which is good because you get a lot of you get to have a lot of input of what they're required to do through cup process operational agreements uh, things of that so the quality there just like the Gent situation and and it really much is it's a regulated business or a business that's got You know fire inspection issues that you have to do so having all those in place from day one is very critical
0: great Uh, you know at at council level a lot of focus from the community has been on the retail component but we've discussed with the council some other components of the industry Uh, for example what are those types of cannabis businesses that may be best suited for like our business parks or industrial park areas?
1: Well, I think for any community, you really want it to naturally fits. You know, obviously, if you're in an agriculture com- community, um, like in then unincorporated the areas, cultivation seems natural there. Um, but in a city that yours, that's commercially a lot of distribution, some warehousing components in there that fits the modelly. Um, you look at your, your zoning ordinances, what do we have in these zones, and what is our economic um, tr- striving for, um, the type of businesses that complement our other businesses um, or consistently follow what we have in those zones, and and that's what you kind of really try to um, follow and mimic um, to have that consistency of what your your general plan is trying to do.
0: You know, in your presentation this morning you mentioned research and development. Which I think you described in a, a bigger term than I've heard before, but given our proximity between major universities, Solano College that has a biotech program right across the street from our biotech industries, um, I think research and development may be one of those sweet spots that could be of interest. Can you give can you me an idea of what is research and development related to testing and some other items in this industry?
1: Yeah, um, and that's a good point. I did give an example of another community that's linked close to a college like you guys are with the Solano or even UC Davis in proximity um, that, you know, like testing labs, um, just like ag com- communities have testing labs and do with the ag stuff. This is just another product that gets tested. So, um, But there is a demand for that. The, um, statewide, there's less than 50 testing labs that potentially could be for, Um, almost 10,000 businesses. And when you spread that out, that's not a whole lot to cover. And so there is a good quality there and good paying jobs. And um, also like the science related, that kind of ties to some of your, your vision um, from how your, you know, the general plan for your commercial properties or economic component of in there is that. And then I mentioned a little about the hemp thing as hemp comes on and CBD oil has become a bit critical even to your general um, commercial business. I mentioned CVS, Walgreen, um, Bed, Bath and & Beyond, and that becomes a product. Even if it's not regulated, it's something that's going to need the kind of stuff for testing um, throughout the state.
0: So that was one that, that kind of surprised me because we have those laboratory jobs now, being in our water testing, being in our biotech field. So that was one that... That was an industry type of cannabis I wasn't thinking about that when you mentioned this morning, it kind of made sense that we are unique in
1: that position. Right, right. And I mentioned the other one about, you know, unique in your position of where you're on this corridor for distribution, Um, you know, you're at a, a, a key area to move a product up and down, just like other distribution components of industries of just strategically where you're at and. You know, again, distribution isn't these big old stores or 16-wheeler vehicles. They're small, small commercial vehicles that are carrying a very minimal amount of product, but um, play a key role of just moving product from location to location. They're really not t- uh, plant-touching uh, businesses um, out there.
0: You know, in your presentation this morning, one of the things you mentioned was in terms of actual approvals, we now have cultivation cup capabilities or grow capabilities that are two to three times the actual demand for the product. Which kind of raises the question of this is a very young industry. I mean, we're really talking about something that has been in the shadows for a while, but really is just coming into a legal industry. Where do you think the, the basic economic balance is going sh- to shake out? Are we two, three, five years out? Where, where, do, you, where do you think this is going to fall?
1: Well, if we follow where the states that come before us have done, um, it usually takes about three years to normalization from fully permitted businesses. And right now we only have, you know, probably 10% of them that are actually have their annual permit. 80-90% of them only have called temporaries or provisionals. And one of the things that we saw, and the reason I say that is when you look at um, those that come before us, is there's kind of three tiers of businesses. You got everyone that's in it that were from the old collective, um, collective models um, that try to do it but just don't want to follow the rules. And then you've got those that are passionate about, about this industry that do everything they can but they just don't have the proper resources. And either they sell out to other businesses or they just realize that they're just not going to make it. And so you see that not only consolidation of businesses, you saw that you see that transition of different levels of how this becomes the normalization of it and and that's taken almost three years for those states that have gone come before before us so we have a lot to go, yes, we still got a lot and of course we got a lot of moving parts still, so we need those to kind of the dust to settle on those to really get to a place where we we really can be uh, have a lot of facts and data to really understand what's going to happen and how it settles in.
0: That kind of brings me to, to one of the other questions is just kind of w- where do you see us heading in the next year? Um, I, I know we, were t- we talked about a l- lack of testing labs, the state still has licensing issues to address. And kind of what do you think are the big milestones ahead in
1: 1920? Um, um, one is the delivery issue, and I think the lawsuit. Um, that you guys are involved in as well. Some of the cities um, getting that well um, settled because it will dictate a lot of things. Some cities are reacting to well we may as well do something because we're going to be forced upon it because of the deliveries come in town. Although with that get settled and it's you do get back local control of the deliveries. It may change your model or your urgency to do or not do something. Um, And then also see how that impacts um, just the business models of businesses that are out there. The second part of this is that we don't have track and trace yet. And Prop 64 said that we would have track and trace in the monitor and track everything. And because we don't have that, we don't have data to decide, data telling us how much is out there in product what businesses are actually in compliance, what businesses we want to do business with as a community, and that, that accountability aspect of it that we thought we were going to have as soon as the regulations went into play. And then the third element that I mentioned just recently happened in the last 60, 90 days is what is hemp going to do to us as regarding a new product that can disrupt or modify the current you know, the business model for cannabis businesses. So
0: there's a lot of moving parts. Yes, there is. So it, it it's clear that this is an ongoing issue with cannabis, and there's going to be a lot coming up in the next year. Um, it kind of is a moving target at this point. I know there's a lot of people doing their very best at the state level to, to try to put these things into place, but it definitely has been a long process.
1: It is, and, and again, just like anything, I think there's a maturing component of it. Um, and I don't think any businesses that were disruptive and I mentioned again to the disruptive before us. We've seen, you know, how the Airbnb models modify and disrupt our hotels. We've seen how Uber and Lyft has disrupt our taxi companies. Um, we saw obviously the, the dot com of the internet how Amazon disrupted our, our retail businesses. So all these disruptive businesses need some kind of maturing to kinda of see how it settles in. And this is just one of those other ones that are that we're looking at right now.
0: Great, well David, thank you so much for sharing some information with us and obviously this is an ongoing issue so hopefully we can have you back in the next year to kind of update us on the, the, the most recent updates and as the city continues to
1: look at this issue. Well it's been my pleasure and I'd be more than happy to come back and uh, continue our conversation.
0: Great, and thank you all for listening but don't let the conversation in here. Go to letstalkvacaville.com and select the Cannabis Engagement button to learn more and leave your thoughts and questions. Have a great morning.